You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at Herd Podcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I sound loud. Am I loud? No. No? no. We just got a good, really good sound. Really good sound. All right. Yeah. So, guys, tonight we are joined by the chef partner at Latito at Joe Bar, Michael Barrera. Ooh. What's up, guys? Thank Thanks you. for being with us. Orale. No, thank you. Orale, vato. Que paso? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, guys, we're going to start this week the same way we started last week. We're going to fit – not the same way, but we're going to finish Mark Kurlianchek from the Detroit Free Press. I wasn't here last week. Finish no. him. Oh, finish. <laughs> finish the list of top ten new restaurants and then talk about – the restaurant of the year because they're different. Very confused, man. Vato's I got, confused, but let's get the list. Let's yeah, do the list right. and then let's talk about. So number five was Sam Morello at the Shinola Hotel. Number four is Folk. Uh, that's in Corktown. Number three is She Wolf in Midtown. All right, Marrow in West Village, and then the number one new restaurant is Albina. Um, and Albina's in the. Uh, well, this other hotel. I forgot the name of it. Oh. Siren Hotel. Siren, Siren Hotel. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So, Albina's the number one new restaurant. Okay. Right. And then Ema in Corktown was the best – was the restaurant of the year. That's so weird. Named on different days. Um, so, they named Albina – Mark named Albina the day, number one rest, best apart. new restaurant. Day, day apart. apart. Correct. Which is confusing. On Deadline Thursday. Detroit who – Thursday, uh, right? Uh, I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't know Thursday and then Friday. Friday. Other, yeah. yeah. So Deadline Detroit, who kind of comments on um, uh, news around the city, uh, made the comment that uh, the Detroit Free Press's restaurant of the year is one hundred and thirty-five dollars a person, or whatever the price may be. Um, and then uh, there was a comment saying, "Well, actually, the the restaurant of the year is twelve dollars a person, right? Uh, which Ema's price point is much more approachable than totally different, totally different experiences too." Correct. So Albina is, for those that don't know, is a, is um, it's three people. It's Garrett, Tiffany, and uh, I forgot his sous chef's name. Emma, maybe or something like that. Um, I don't know, but they did a great job. Tasting yeah. menu. Tasting menu. Eight seats. Right. Um, I haven't been yet. Uh, full disclosure. I, have, I haven't either. Okay. We're very much looking forward to going though. Yeah. Um, it, it and then Ema is a uh, noodle house essentially, right? Um, that. Uh, has two locations, one in Corktown, one now in Madison Heights, um, and it is incredibly approachable. It's not a tasting menu. You walk up to the counter; it's counter service. Right. Um, and usually so, very busy. Usually very yeah. busy. Yeah, I've, yeah. Both I'm locations over there in Corktown. I've never been to the Madison Heights ones, but I've yeah. only been to the Madison Heights ones. I've only I've been, been to, to Sugar House a bunch yeah. of times, obviously, and I've, it's always busy over there. I've yeah. only been to Corktown one. I've been in there a couple times. They got outside seating that's covered. That's really nice out there. Yeah, I've been. There. I've only been there for lunch. Yeah, location is beautiful. Actually, the Corktown simple. Location. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah. Madison Heights is a little bit different. I've been to both, but it's where we're at now. It's obviously very convenient to drive up three miles and get some Ema or get it on the way in. And I was there before when it was the uh, sandwich place. Uh oh, uh, rubbed. Yeah, in Corktown. Yeah, yeah. And then before in Madison Heights, it was Pancheros or Pancheros. Oh, no um, yeah, which didn't do do very well there. <laughs> they had the one yeah, pound burrito. It's not a college town. <laughs> no, right? That's exactly. It's yeah. not on. It's not on Grand River in East Lansing. So. Or on. There was uh, a Pancheros in Ann Arbor. Too. Ann Arbor, yeah. Yeah, it started yep. in East with, Lansing. No, just giving everybody. Uh, no. <laughs> with, with El Gordo, right? That's what the yeah the one was. pound burrito. Yep, yep. Yeah, my early nineties. Um, so I want to talk about for a second the two articles. So let's focus on Albina and Ima. The Albina article is focused heavily is one hundred percent on the food. The uh, Ema article is focused a little bit. It's like half and half food and um, on Michael Ransom, the chef. Um, and I'm interested to hear your opinions on why. Why do you think that is? Is is it kind of the mystery of Garrett who is 
I don't, you know, uh, obviously without being able to, you know, un- truly understand what's going on in Mark's head when he's writing that, but just from my perspective, the experience that I had at Albina that I really enjoyed, and I came away thinking that Garrett really executed this really this humble hospitality where the focus really was on the food not on him none of the, none of what they put out there is really about Garrett and so as a person who's you know interested but not a diehard or you know hardcore foodie by any sense of the imagination i really thought it was um great to go in there and sort of learn or have that experience you know the the experience really is about the that tasting menu taking you through um, you know, different elements of the food. So I, I would think that that might be a part of it, you know. And then to further that point, like in terms of Mark's audience and, and the kind of um, the hope that these articles somehow go viral and are shared with people outside of the state of Michigan, um, where does Albina sit nationally and where does some somewhere like Ema sit nationally? I mean, that's just you're talking you're, you're talking about apples and oranges, though, I think, because. They're completely different concepts of what cuisine is. They're completely different concepts of what a restaurant is. And I don't think you can compare the two. I, I, I have the last couple of years with this whole countdown thing, I thought it was weird. I'll admit that. I thought it was weird. I thought the presentation of it was – it was unique to say, okay, we're not just going to throw out here's our top, which is what our magazine did, which is what all the – you know, what Free Press has done um, – not just going to throw out, here's our top. We're going to say, here's our top 10. But the way that I thought that it's done wasn't like, okay, these are the, I mean, are these the top 10 in order? Because it starts off saying, this is like, this is like the classic. And then like we had conversation, like, well, I mean, what does this mean? This is the classic. Like, um, and that was Burt's Warehouse this year. Yeah. yeah and so Phoenicia last year. Completely two different places, first of all. I mean, like, <laughs> like, let's just talk about that right there, right? Burt's Warehouse or Phoenicia? One is a high-end, you know, Middle Middle Eastern, Eastern Mediterranean, you know. And the other one is, you know, more of a community, soulful, whatever. Yep. In in Eastern market. Yeah. Completely different place. Well, it's it's more like it's like the Lifetime Achievement Award, isn't it? Basically, it's just like highlighting places that have been around for a while. I think think it's exactly what it is. It's something that has longevity in this market. Is it a play on the James Beard Americana kind of thing? I I don't know about – I mean the the, the bare minimum is that it has to be open 10 years. Okay. And uh, there has to be some level, I think, of community – service to the community as well. Um, I I don't know the the metrics exactly, but – um, I mean, I don't know the metrics to the best. I mean, the new restaurant obviously should probably have been opened in 2018 would be my guess or late 2017. There might probably be a cutoff date there. And then um, the best restaurant overall, the restaurant of the year, I have no idea what the metrics are. I mean, these aren't they aren't specifically spelled out, are they? I, I don't I don't believe that there are metrics. Yeah. Personally, um, I will say, though, that in regards to. I, I'm just gonna. I haven't been to Albina yet. I mean, I was. I've known Garrett for a few years, and um, he's a great guy, and he's obviously an incredibly talented chef. Um, <clears throat> I read something the other day that I think is kind of that I, I felt was a little bit crazy. Somebody made a comment um, on a Facebook post about um, any talented chef can put out great food for eight people, and <laughs> I, yeah, I won't. I won't say who said it, but <laughs> I, I thought to myself, "I'm like, yeah, I, I, I get it." But at the same time, Garrett's food and and what he does, I think, is maybe not necessarily on another level. But he's in our world, in our market, he's kind of a visionary with what he does with food. There's not a lot of people doing what Garrett does, you know, and, and that's just that's just a fact. Um, I mean, James obviously does it on a level where there's 40 people um, in his restaurant. That's um, a re- Mabel referring Grant. to Regatta. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then yeah. you have a guy like Janatal is doing it for 85 people at, at Forest. Forest. Yep. You know, I mean, the, all those guys are obviously uber talented chefs and, and great at what they do. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's a select few people who could maybe do that type of thing. But um, I think with Curly Anschick's article um, and I think what, what he's really trying to do with putting somebody like that at number one, um, I think it's for some reach. I think there's, I think there is a little bit of uh, trying to build up the brand that is Detroit restaurants by having a 
exclusive small fine dining style food place to to put on a pedestal to see if that does build more of what we're like what people are talking about is as a movement in food in our market. Um, I didn't even really view it as a fine dining experience when we went. I thought the money was for me. There's always like the price and then the value, and sometimes those things are aligned, and sometimes yeah. they're not. Right, and so for me, I didn't have any hesitation, or I wouldn't have any hesitation to spend the money to go experience it again because I felt like there was something going on there that was definitely unique and elevated. Sure, but again, very humble and almost like not stoic or you know it was so minimal in the space and it just yeah it just felt like something different and uh, and very inviting yeah i think what welcoming. i mean by fine dining i think that word's probably thrown out there as much as farm to table is at this point but fine dining to me is less about um, stainless steel cloches and and white gloves and you know one waiter per every guest and I, what i mean by that is execution of food plating of food um development of dishes that that type of thing in that respect, there's no doubt in my mind that the food he's putting out there is equivalent to, you know, Michelin star restaurant foods, you know, maybe a different atmosphere. Um, and maybe that's a goal. Maybe that's something they're looking to do to actually get something like one star in the state of Michigan. Who knows? And, and I'm not I'm not going to argue with Mark's idea of what, what are great restaurants. I mean, Mark's got a, you know, obviously he's got a very seasoned palate. I mean, for, I mean, Garrett himself, I mean, he took a place that didn't have a kitchen and turned it into a tasting menu restaurant in Torino. Torino, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was no kitchen there. Right. And yeah. he's, you know, he's killing it. The, the, Induction burners. Yeah. That's what I mean, he's working yeah. off of. You know, the, the, the I had the, I have a way with the presentation. Like, and it's The grand, presentation of Mar, Mark's presentation, not Garrett's right, presentation. Right. Of, yeah, yeah. yes, thank you. Of yeah. the presentation of how this comes out. Like, okay, we, because it almost seems like a top 10 list, but it's not a top 10 list. And it's, we know it's not a top 10 list after the fact because you're fooled by the uh, the headline that says this is number one restaurant. And then you you skip because we're lazy or I'm lazy, right? <laughs> I'll say it. I'm lazy. <laughs> you skip this next sentence that says watch for tomorrow's best restaurant. Yeah. Right? So here they're like, oh, here's the top restaurant. And to, to what you were talking about at the beginning, you know, Deadline Detroit's like exactly just as I am saying, oh, well, the number one restaurant is this. It's like, no, the number one restaurant was the next day because it was the best. So we're difference between the number one restaurant and the best restaurant instead of saying the runner up or, and we get, we get caught like this and we're saying, okay, these are the top 10. And There's I don't. 15 this year, by the way. There were five runners up. Too. See, I didn't even get that. <laughs> I started with, I started with uh, Burt's. Burt's was 10, right? No, no. Burt's was the restaurant the of the year category. classic. See, I thought that was number 10. Or the yes. classic restaurant of the year. Yeah, so what are we so confused? <laughs> so Monday, Monday um, there was like, there was five restaurants that were like, I just missed that. the cut of the top 10. Yeah. And, and the way the way he's done it is like every year is the top 10 new restaurants. So restaurants are open that year. Yeah. And then the winner usually is so something confused. that's been open longer than a year. The restaurant of the year. The restaurant of the year. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, to your point, I do see where to the to the everyday reader of the free press or free probably looking at like, oh, Albina's the number one new restaurant. And I'm not freaking reading the newspaper like right. at the at the breakfast table, <laughs> you know, uh, right. old school way. I am scrolling through my Facebook feed of what's going on, and then maybe I'll click over to the hmm. Freep or Detroit News or Huffington Post and stuff and see what's my news. In a short amount of time, I don't have time. I'm, I'm going for headlines, yeah. and I don't have time to sit there and read every story. I'm sorry to the journalists, but I'm not going to do that. Mm. So I'm catching these things as they come across, and I'm like, uh, you know, seeing what the headlines are, and I'm like, oh, blah blah blah, this and that, this and that, you know. And to to not have a true roadmap, you know, um, I'm glad that he's changed the scope because before it was just like, here's the best. And if you look at our magazine, uh, I would say that probably half of their best restaurants are all closed. And they were probably best at the time. I mean, it's a, it's a, somewhat know? of a curse. I right. mean, it happens, it happens to a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm glad that he's expanded it to say, we're not just going to focus on one singular place. Let's, let's look at a lot of places. I just think, it, it, you know, if you're only looking at it in five, ten minutes of the day, it may get confusing and you may like lose some of the message. But but consider this. Consider that the the, the so that the five runners up had one article. Each of the top ten had their own article. And then he has a final restaurant of the year, eleven article. All of these 
all of these are shareable. All of these yeah. have the potential to go viral. Mm-hmm. All of these are an indication of places that anybody coming to the city, any of those top 10 really is a place that I would wholeheartedly send someone to. So should, is there some, I mean, I, I must, I think the answer is yes. There's some onus on the establishment then to get their team to kind of repost these stories, right? I, I think, I don't know about that, but I think a big part of this is that uh, the the changing face of the way things are written and and the way um, the way we consume. I mean, you're, you're talking about consumption right now. Right. You're saying like I'm not sitting in the, the morning, you know, in the in, in the morning reading the paper. I'm scrolling through my phone. Right. And so you know you you consume a particular way. Someone else, you know, someone does sit at the kitchen table and read, and someone is going to see a special section. I imagine on Saturday, which I I didn't see, but I imagine there was a special section on Saturday that went through all of it. Yeah, or Sunday. I, or I Sunday. Yeah. I didn't get it either. Yeah. yeah. So the play, I think it's called the play section. It used to be at least, and that that's probably it was probably all dedicated to these restaurants. Hmm. I, at least my that's my hope. I don't I, I don't know if that's true. I didn't um, see a lot of reshares. You didn't? Did not. And I did more from the free than I, I guess just Mark's personal um page because it was shared by Freep and obviously from Mark as well. So um I don't know. Give them more time in my opinion, give more time to email because I think they're definitely well deserving of what they got for sure. So I, I think a lot of these restaurants in in the metro area are deserving of the accolades that they mm-hmm. get. I think that, I think sure. there's a lot of places that go underrepresented. Uh, because we focus on some of the hot spots quite often, right? Um, I just, uh, I, you know, so I'm glad for everybody that gets the accolades. I just wish that we kind of had more of a schematic about what we should be looking at. I don't know. Yeah. They really do a great job as well. Um, but I like what they did last year, and they partnered with uh, Chevy to do the then a, di- a dinner series. So um, instead of you know, whatever exposure is generated over the week or two weeks after the article and all these shares and, you know, by definition, when something that's viral and it explodes and then it tapers off and it has a, um, <clears throat> you know, um, a timeline to it. But, uh, you know, they've really been able to extend that out by doing dinners. We did one at the Peterborough a couple of years ago when that was a new restaurant. And um, so they partner with Chevy and they do a top 10 dinner series and each month they do one. And so I think that was a really cool way to keep that focus on these places and continually drive back to the original content because there's always something popping up and then they have a chance to promote each one of those places during the month of that ticketed dinner. Um, So it's cool because I think people then get to obviously have it go have a great experience there. Um, Although I think at the time – uh, the dinner that we cooked at the Peterborough was something special, so it wasn't even what was offered. So that was kind of weird, how, how long after the um, seven months almost after they're announced. Yeah, or almost ten months really, because I think it's one per month. Yeah, they it's do the one per 10. month, and it's I'm yeah. pretty sure it was maybe an order of mm-hmm. how it went. So that the I, yeah, I'm not I'm, sure because we did a couple of years ago. We had I think it was the same year Peterborough was townhouse in Detroit. Okay. Um, and I did the dinner, dinner there, and there was 125 people in our atrium that night. Yeah, so I mean, Sold it, it was quick. cool. Yeah, it was work. great. Yeah. So, so speaking of hot new restaurants, Mike, let's talk about Latito for a second, because awesome. so you guys took over um, Joe Bar. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something uh, like admittedly, uh, Joe Bar prior to you going in and taking over with this concept um, di- didn't uh, wasn't my cup of tea so to speak it was it seemed disjointed it seemed um a little sloppy uh the the concept itself now i I was at latito last weekend and i thought it was awesome and and much more unified and um the 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 atmosphere in general seemed a lot more relaxed even though you know joe bar as his original concept was supposed to be some type of dive i think um which so let's talk about latito first so let's Kind of explain the concept and uh, your kind of vision for for the space. Yeah, so we um, about six months ago is when Joe and I really came up with the idea and um, potentially doing uh, what would be known as a residency in that space, kind of like a long term pop up, if you will, for a year. Um, so 
which was perfect for me because it's definitely something that I wanted to I wanted to bring the food of Central South American regions, especially like Panama, Peru, Argentina, um, and I'll get into that in a second. But those styles of cuisine and types of food from those areas into this market because there's really not a lot of spaces where you can do it, um, and more so on a traditional aspect with some dishes, some being an ingredient based thing um, that we talked about when you were in. So, um, I think. The space itself, um, regardless of what it was before, we looked at it as somewhat of a blank slate. Like how can we turn this into a restaurant that has a great bar program um, rather than what it was, which was a bar that had a food program? Um, and the bones of the place are obviously gorgeous. Um, you know, some cool exposed brick, open like kind of vaulted or open uh, ceilings, and uh, a lot of really exposed wood stuff like that. So, um, and I think one of the things that is important that if you're in Latin America, like in Panama and um, like Panama City or Buenos Aires, I've I've been there extensively. Um, that restaurants there are as modern as they are here. Um, you know, whereas you go to uh, you go to Mexican town, you go to a place like um, Lupita's or something like that, or even um, Nuestra Familia or something like that. It's, you know, you have the the colorful chairs and, and the art on the walls and stuff like that, where if you go somewhere like Mexico City or something like that, like they're, they're very modern done restaurants with that style of food. Uh-huh. Um, so our goal was to not overly do any sort of decor, if you will, that just spoke to those regions. Um, and there wasn't really that much work to do in that space to do so. Um, it was removal of some things like there is a pinball machine and an ATM and stuff like that. But those were just aesthetics. We put some cool art on the wall from a local artist friend of mine named Michael Ross um, that isn't Latin American in its nature, but it definitely is in its, in its color schemes and stuff like that. So and it's not intended to be that way. It just kind of worked out. Uh-huh. Um, the bar, we didn't have to touch anything on the bar. The bar is gorgeous. Yep. Cool chalkboards to where we can do some cool art, like our logos and, and drink menu that's definitely focused in Central and South America with different rums, um, cachaças and stuff like that. So the concept really is rooted. Latido means heartbeat. Um, so the concept's rooted in um, Central South American style cuisine. Um, definitely classical in its approach with some uh, playful things as well. It's not a large venue. We only have about 12 items. We have a very small kitchen, um, but we can rotate those items on a regular basis. We have the ability to change whatever we want. We rep- we print our own menus. Um, we have a pre- pastry chef uh, named Cece Collins. She's amazing. Um, people are raving about her desserts so far, and we've got some new stuff coming already, and we've only been open less than a month, so about three weeks. So, uh, so I have a jump in a question. So sure. when you're – uh, formulating the concept of desserts, and we've talked about this on on the show a few other times. Sure, are you uh, guys making dessert as kind of like an after dinner thing, or are you saying when uh, customers come in and they they're looking at the menu, are you saying, hey, you should plan for dessert in advance? Um, there, well, that's really talking about sales techniques. Um, so yeah, we do that. It, I think it's obviously reading the customer and what they're looking for. Um, but yeah, we want everybody to have a full dining experience in our space. Absolutely. Um, and that includes dessert, which is, I think, the whole reason why you go out and get a pastry chef and build a program. Um, if you, if I wanted to, I could have easily produced desserts for that menu as I've done for other spaces I've been at before, but they wouldn't be nearly as, I think, developed or have more depth than what CC's done. So yes, to answer your question, when people come in, I definitely try to have our staff um, gear them towards making sure they save some room for dessert. Mm. Um, and if not, I think there's easy sales techniques to make sure that you never ask a guest if they'd like to see a dessert menu. You simply place a dessert menu on the table, describe the desserts. I'll be back in a few minutes to take your order. You make that. You don't make them answer yes or no as a guest. You just put the onus on them to say whether they'd like it or not. And yeah, and, and and we've talked about that, you know. And I'm I'm just I'm really happy that you have in you know a pastry uh, you know person to work on that that kind of aspect of it. But we've talked about it before, where you know you, people go in and they're like, okay, at the end of it, oh hey, by the way, here's some awesome desserts and. You know, you really didn't think about it at the time that you were, you know, ordering appetizers. And, you know, a lot of uh, successful pastry things start off with the idea is like, hey, keep this in mind before you. Yeah. I mean, we had Ben uh, Robeson on from yeah. Chartreuse and his his desserts, I, I mean, are 
incredible. Yeah. The, 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 the he's, he's insane. Man. Yeah. His talent is like and, ridiculous. And we talked about his desserts as something that, you know, could be – you could focus a whole like tasting menu on his desserts alone. Um, Easily. And, yeah. Because he uses a lot of savory stuff in his desserts. I mean it, the, the foie gras candy bar that he did, I mean, which is – it almost seems like there's a lot of people doing it. But, I mean, he did that three, four years ago and it's still one of the most gorgeous looking desserts I've ever seen the guy do. But I totally agree with you. Yeah, so you know, the dessert as a as a viable option is is part of every meal makes perfect sense, right? Um, especially if you, I mean, like you said, go out and get a pastry chef. Like you, you, you have to position dessert as as an important part of the meal. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think that financially you base a program like you're not paying somebody just based on what those sales are. Um, I think you do it because the concept needs it. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't uh, listen. Uh, Vato, you're from Latin America. I mean, you understand what sweets mean in that. Churros, baby. Yeah. <laughs> like touch sweet, my churro. Sweets are like, a, it's crazy. People love their sugar. Churros and um, flan. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, we'd be we'd be dumb to not put some, you know, cool concept desserts together. I mean, and some of our stuff is pretty traditional. Like the suspiro is a dulce de leche, you know, pudding with with a meringue, you know, layers in it. So those aren't non-traditional in any way. They're definitely traditional. And the way we make our dulce de leche is the way it was made when it was first created by, you know, milk, reducing it down for eight to 10 hours until it becomes a caramely, you know, beautiful caramely thing, you know. So it's, we're not taking sweetened condensed milk and boiling it down in a can like a lot of people do where it's almost like oh, we sugar had that. We had that recently when my uh, great uncle turned 90 and <laughs> they made that. I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. And they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm like, really? That's all you do? That's all you do. <laughs> and there's like, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, <laughs> it's like, so good. I called it sugar mud. Sugar um, mud. <laughs> it's like sugar. It's like, it's like, it's like milk spackling. It? You know? What do we call it? We <laughs> so, called it something else. Oh, man. It's delicious, but it's also like you're going to eat it and just end up with diabetes by the time uh, you're done with the can. I know. So. I'm so ghetto, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it, too. It's, I mean, it's like a hood. You don't get looking the way I do without eating that stuff. So, <laughs> so, so th this talk of sweet and savory, I think an ideal place for these two things to come together is brunch. And, and I, you guys are talking. So yeah. you're, you're starting a brunch program this weekend, yeah, correct? Yeah, this Saturday. Yeah. So this Saturday is what? What's the date? The 16th. 16th. Yep. Okay. So as of February 16th, you're offering brunch. What's What's on the menu uh, and is brunch a traditional type of uh, Central American? Um, I wouldn't say that it's traditional, but there's definitely a lot of restaurants in those markets that are doing it. Okay. Um, there's so, hipsters everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> say what? There's what? There's hipsters, hipsters everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, right. Oh, there are. It's true. America. No, you are not lying. <laughs> no, there um, is. There is, for sure. Um, but I... <laughs> for, all right, from I one... There's, there's not... The time, there, so just... There's not... There's not there's not white moms everywhere though. So, <laughs> um, but I, I think that, yeah, we, we're launching some of the things that we're doing. Like we're doing, um, our French toast is actually, uh, uh, paying homage to the suspiro. It's got dulce de leche. It's got the meringue and it's torched and it's got, you know, um, it's got, uh, cinnamon and then the sugar cookies that are, that are served with it crumbled down with it. Um, we're doing like a desayuno typico, which is, you know, fried eggs with, um, queso fresco, um, stewed black beans, um, pressed garlic toast, like Cuban style bread, if you will. Um, and, uh, thick slab bacon or chorizo, like depending on what you want. So we don't have breakfast sauces on our menu. We do have tocino, which is, you know, bacon, smoked bacon. Um, we have, like I said, chorizo. We have, um, different sides that we're offering. Um, but a lot of the ingredients that we're using are definitely very similar to what we're doing on our dinner menu. Like we're doing a kind of play on a croque, uh, a, a croque madame, mm. if you will, but we're doing it with, uh, jamon y queso empanadas instead of doing bread and cheese. So mm. we're using the same ingredients. So it's ingredient based things that mm -hmm. are similar to that, but it's also like, it's with brunch, you can be a little bit more playful. Um, because I think you want to have that reach. If we were just going uber traditional with it, I think you are limiting your audience a little bit and that, in that uh, meal period. So uh, I don't know if you have this on your brunch menu or not, not passing judgment if you do or not. Uh, I'm just curious what you think of chilaquiles. Um, I like them and no, they're not on the menu. Because I'm I'm confused by them. Like I like them at one point, but the other part, like I don't like, because you got to eat them with a fork, right? Because yeah, they get I mean, too I soggy. Think, yeah. I mean, well, that's kind of the, that's kind of the point of a chilaquile though. I mean, they are supposed to kind of get a little bit soggy. Um so and because because the corn itself is supposed to th like thicken the sauce a little bit, but I'm not like 
I do like them, but they don't necessarily fit the concept of what we're doing. And for, that, and for we're those, not doing we're not doing Mexicano cuisine in this place. And for those unaware, so, it's kind of like breakfast nachos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But more of like a like a savory tomatoey sauce, like hot sauce that kind of warms up the chips and stuff like that that you're putting in there. So or the tortillas that you're putting in there. And so. what kind of egg do you use for that? Um, if you were to make it. If I were to make it? I mean poached like, or scrambled? I would do I would do a fried egg with really crispy edges. Oh, okay. So, so. different than, yeah. So and I, I just throw it out there because we're talking about brunch and yeah. You know, from the Latin American standpoint, I, I'm very confused at how I feel about chilaquiles. Part of me really likes them. Part of me hates them. I have no opinion of them. Really? <laughs> have you ever had them? I've had them. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're fine. But I, would I? I mean, I, I think not, it's like I'm if you have that or huevos rancheros, like what are you eating? I'm eating rancheros <laughs> yeah, all day. all day. Like I don't even care the version of it. I don't even care if it's traditional. I hate going anywhere paying 14 bucks for chilaquiles. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere. And it's freaking hipster brunch shit. It's the price and value thing again. Always. <sighs> Food costs more money than what it used to, guys. So paying 14 bucks for something that's going to fill you up. You can go to Qdoba and spend 14 bucks on something that's going to fill you up. <sighs> Don't, and nobody uh, passes judgment on that. No, yeah. I pass judgment. Don't go to Qdoba. No, it's like, <laughs> listen, it's like the, it's the burger Don't argument. do it. No, Don't go anywhere listen. fast casual. <laughs> spend money. No, Fuck that. Spend money <laughs> okay. at mom and pop places. Spend money at, uh, at, at don't go to Kido, but cool. don't go to Ed, don't, no. <laughs> then don't bitch about 14 bucks for brunch, though. I am, because what am Oh, my gosh. I mean, you're, you're, going, down, you're going on the wrong path, Vato. You, 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 no. Oh, no. His path isn't wrong. It's just oh, it's, his it's, path. It's, it's, you know? I mean, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, for, I mean, I paid $14. For I was like, really? Right. I've done it. I'm like, Make him right. at home then. Well, yeah, but the, there's there's fun. It's fun going out, right? <laughs> this is the price you pay for fun, right? So yeah, that's fun, what I pay for going. It's the fun tax. Yeah, the fun there you go. <laughs> like, oh, hey, you can be out and okay. So, Mike, you, you, at the beginning of last year, you were you were at the helm of uh, Townhouse and um, Prime and Proper. Was it open January of last year? Was it? Yeah, it was. It yeah, was. It was open October the of seventeen. Of seventeen, yeah. Okay, um, so. It seems to me that you're at the – I mean, obviously, you're the, you're the partner at Latito, but Latito seems very chef-driven where Prime and Proper and Townhouse didn't. And, and correct me if I'm wrong about that. But what I'd like to really talk about is the difference in the menus, um, kind of the, the uh, liberties you're taking with the Latito menu versus the liberties you're able to take with Townhouse and Prime and Proper. Um, so, yeah, it, I was – I was the executive chef in Birmingham like three years ago and then took over when um, Brennan Kalnan, a great friend of mine, he left about six months after Townhouse Detroit opened and I took over downtown while still somewhat overseeing Birmingham. But downtown being the monster that it is takes up the majority of your time. Um, Bir- Birmingham, what, 18 seats? Um, no, it's got like 40 seats. Really? But then oh. when, if you add the patio, it's like oh. 120 total. Damn. And the ki- kitchen doesn't change. The size of the kitchen doesn't change. <laughs> right, right. So it's a, it's, it's a bit of a logistical nightmare, but it works. So, um, <clears throat> are, are the menus the same at Birmingham and Detroit? Um, Townhouse. Ni- I, I, mean, I mean, I haven't worked there in almost a year, but I'm going to say that they're probably well, – Or were they when 95% you were there? 95% the okay. same, yeah. But, but Townhouse and Detroit had the raw bar, right? Yeah, they do. So they have the raw bar. They have sushi. Uh, so mostly, yeah, they, okay. they do a sushi program there. So that obviously is very limited in its scope in Birmingham, if at all anymore. I don't know. Okay. Um, so, But the menus, though. So in terms of the, menus the, the changes same. you were making – Yeah, and, and like, to bring what, them closer together, to brand them more, exactly. And the layers that you had to go through to make a change at Townhouse – Latito, I imagine you and Moses, who Moses is your chef de cuisine. Yeah. Oh okay. man, yeah. Moses Fishman. Yeah. Um, if, we, if we can mention him, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm lucky to have him and his expertise, and I mean, Moses being from um, two Peruvian parents and and understanding that cuisine and working at places like Estudiante Gaston. Um, I mean, like his knowledge is amazing, and he's he's killing it. Like, listen, I'm 42. This game's gonna pass me by pretty soon. Um, I'll be in it for a while. Don't think like that, man. It is what <laughs> Come it is, on. man. It's it's just dude. Uh, I'm 45. I'm just getting started, baby. It's, it's reality, man. <laughs> so, 27. Year, I was 27 years in this business already. So, but uh, Rick Flair just <laughs> <a> no, woo. <laughs> um, but he's he's amazing, and I'm lucky to have him. And at 26 years old, he's got a long career out of him. So, um, stoked for that. But, um, so the menus the menus at Prime and Proper. Um, I definitely think our chef driven. To be honest with you, I think okay. Ryan Prentice is a phenomenal chef, and he's still young too. He does a great job, and it's uh, it's definitely a tough environment because it's a massive menu. 
I mean, massive menu. Um, there's a lot going on, but definitely does a great job with it. Um, so uh, townhouse, I definitely think is a little bit different. I think it's like one of those brandable type things where um, it's a it's a burger joint and it's a sushi joint, but you can also get you know some good new American fare. You can also get you know some cool sides and stuff like that. But um, probably yes, less chef driven than what Prime and Proper is. Well, I think my question, but my question though is in terms of the menu itself, right? Yeah. So. If you wanted to make a change, oh yeah. So, so <laughs> what are the layers? So because right now the th- layers this aren't is you- so much different. So I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so the layers aren't really different. What they are is though is that um, with the concept with Jeremy and his concepts, um, he's he's obviously incredibly focused on on building and building his his group. So when when you go about and I, I think he's he's very sharp about where he wants to see the concept go. Um, so that layer is, be it challenging to, to get something just to get to the point where we know what's going on the menu, um, is, is tough sometimes because you may think it's great, but Jeremy wants to know how you're going to market it. Like, is it, is it marketable? Does it work on the menu with everything else? That type of thing. Whether I agree with it or not is honestly irrelevant. And that when I was working in that space, it was really dependent on, hey, he's the owner. This is his space. Um, I can argue with him, but it may not do me any good. Um, to do something like that where I'm at now, I mean, I, I can simply just pull the trigger when we run a special and say, hey, we're putting this on the menu next week. And I can make it happen. As long as it's costed out properly. I mean, obviously, that's the business side of it is the majority of our job as chefs. Like, I'd love to say that I spent – you know, 80 hours inside the kitchen with a knife in my hand. But I think most chefs will tell you that the majority of what they do is not that. And if it is, lucky them. Um, but, I mean, I'm I'm in charge as a partner of operating the business. So I say, hey, Moses, this is what we're looking to do. This is what I'd like to see. I'd love to try it. Um, and there's times where I help, obviously, develop the whole menu and, and do those things with him. But at the same time, to change something where I'm at now to where it was, it's worlds apart. Just wait. He's going to bring out a ten dollar chili killers one. Day. He's going to be like, "I want to see there a ten dollar chili killers." There is zero zero. Like I can't even tell you how little chance that is happening. Maybe so. a sixteen dollar so, chili killers. Yeah, definitely nineteen dollars. <laughs> what is the size of Latito? How many seat? Uh, Sixty seats, and okay. then we have uh, enough room on the patio. And God, hopefully, it warms up um, for right. another twenty five. So, so almost eighty five seats total. I didn't so that, know they had a patio. They do. Yeah, the patio. It's, it's right in front. Um, it's actually on the oh, John R side. Oh, yeah. okay. I see. So, so another issue that comes up, especially when you go from a high, like, I imagine the townhouse volume is the Detroit. It's spaces. insanity, man. So, in terms of reproducibility on a menu, is it different where you're where Latito sits and where town like in terms of like people reproducing what you're creating. I, what do you mean? Like people who take it home? Is that what, like, no, 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 to, no, no, no. In terms of like the kitchen itself, so you present oh. a dish, right? And there's people reproducing what you guys sure. are doing because you're not in the kitchen. Cons- all the consistency, time. consistency. Yeah. So um, it, it seemed to me that it would be a, a tougher concept to push forth at, at a large volume place like Townhouse, where you're looking at like how many seats are in Townhouse? Three, four hundred. Um, with the atrium, with like, the atrium and private areas, almost three hundred and forty. Three hundred and forty. So you're looking at a, a, a vast space, right? Oh yeah. So how how do you consider a menu item? You know, like yeah, menu you building? have to you have to really like so. On our on our current kitchen now at Latido, there's two stations. There's fry and grill, and then there's saute and grill. Yeah. I mean, they, and they that's it. There's no. I mean, you have six burner range, an oven, um, a 36 inch or 48 inch flat top, and a fryer, uh, and that's it. So all the, and broiler. So those are the that's what you get to cook on. So I mean, when you're coming up with dishes, you have to realize like how can I execute this with all the, with this equipment? But in reality, that's still great firepower. I mean, I don't know how much more you need. Do I need a circulator online? Sure, I can do that. I mean, it's not an issue. Um, and we might do that with future things. But it plays like townhouse. I'm like you have massive amounts of you know things to cook on the same the same things, but also much more. But also a menu that has three and a half times more things on it. I mean, that that menu has 36 to 40 plus items on it, whereas we have 12. And you probably have a walk-in twice the size. Um, three times the size. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. in town of Detroit, yeah, there's three walk-ins and, <laughs> and a giant walk-in freezer. Like, and when I say three walk-ins, I mean like 
big-ass walk-ins. It's like an Amazon fulfillment center model. Yeah. It's like everything's <laughs> got to yeah, work but together. The thing is, it's on know, the second like... level of a high-rise building, yeah. so you have to cart everything down oh. from upstairs to downstairs. So it's actually very so similar to Birmingham because you have to do the same thing. Oh, Birmingham's the like cross-out. Cross yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's crazy, but it works. I mean, and, and if that can work, crap, you can, you can make anything work. So, so in terms of team size and, 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 and the, yeah. the kind of culture building that occurs, yeah. um, what does that look like? Cause I can't, I mean, obviously Latino is a smaller crew. Oh my God, you, yeah. you're, you're like a, well, you know, like essentially a family at like what, like 20 people maybe more than that. Yeah. I think in total we have uh, 23 people. And so both townhouses combined, not even considering prime and proper townhouses, you're in the 150. So how do you, I really like this kind of play between like the, the, the small. Places. Yeah. So pushing on a new menu item for, for a group of 25 people mm. is, I don't want to call it easy, but you can say, okay, we're changing the dessert menu. Here's the new desserts guys. Take a bite. Um, how would you sell these? Right. Yeah. When there's 150 people and everybody's sitting down, like, yeah. how, how, how do you, and, and then how do you keep everyone happy? Um, I, and I'm not talking about customers. I'm just talking about people working. Yeah, about people working. Um, well, in the big space, you have the turnover that you don't have in the smaller space, right? Well, yeah, I think Potentially. just na- naturally you're going to have more turnover just based on numbers. But um, I, I think that. Where we're at, where I'm at currently, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to do something on my own for a while was um, culture-based. And that word is thrown around like crazy. Uh Um, And it can be a million different meanings as to what what culture means to you or whatever that is. What it means to me is quality of life and not just at work but outside of work. Um, I mean, I'm a family man. I've got two kids. I want to see them grow as much as I can um, while still maintaining a career in what I love to do. Um, as I think like – I mean, that's pretty much the American dream, right? Yep. Um, if there is one, if that exists, but that's what it, that's what it means to me. So um, I think what's important is we're closed on Mondays. Um, our market doesn't necessarily dictate us being open on that day just based on the fact that there's not a lot of traffic on that day. Um, James at Mabel Gray is closed on Mondays as well. Um, I think he's closed Sundays and Mondays. Um, so we're open Tuesday through Saturday. What that does automatically is open up a four-day work week for everybody that works there, for the most part, um, except for management. We all work five days. Um, everybody works four days. They get three days off a week. I mean, that right there, just that's quality of life. You get three days off. If you want to get a second job and work a day a week, you can do that if you wanted to. Yep. Um, if I needed you for an extra shift, it's available. Um, but you have that. Um, two, yes, with the smaller size space and everybody just kind of a little bit closer together um, and communication being um, going through less channels. Yeah, I think culture is easy to, to come by. But really it's based on leadership. It's based on who you have in charge. Like are you able to um, – to get your people motivated um, to execute their jobs on a level that makes them happy as hospitality professionals. Um, my goal is just to make people happy in our space. But that starts with our employees. Um, if, if, if the people that are working there are refreshed, um, they're energized, they love the product, they enjoy coming to work, um, our guests are going to know that. Our guests are going to feel that. Um, and I think that that's what hospitality is, is like it's me to you, you to whoever you, you want to transfer that hospitality to. And I think it's also one thing. And one thing that, you know, and Jeremy, like let's go back to Jeremy real quick. Like he's crazy about hospitality. Like he ingrained a lot of this into me. Um, I, I think his spaces are massive, so it's a little bit difficult for that to truly take hold everywhere. But I know that he believes in it. I, tru- I truly do. Um, I mean I, I've sat in – offices with him for, you know, thousands of hours, you know, and, and I don't think that there's any, it's not contrived in nature. I just think like the size spaces he has and things like that, those things logistically become difficult. Um, and I think they're difficult wherever they are, but it, it does, it comes down to leadership, it comes down to, you know, being the change you want to see in the industry. Um, I, I know that from recent articles we've all read, um, about either certain places or issues in the industry. I mean, anybody who's been in it, I know you're in it, um, about not having enough people, uh, 
not enough good people, which I find laughable um, because I think that just comes down to training and yep. time to train. Yep. Um, and we've talked about that briefly. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you open up a ton of restaurants in this market and obviously everybody kind of it's, you know, it's uh, everybody moves from place to place. And uh, but what's really happening is these places are busy. And the one-on-one time that chefs used to get with their sous chefs and their cooks and that training has really kind of escaped. Like, it's not happening. So when people say, yeah, there's not enough good cooks anymore, well, they're just not getting the time that I did when I was coming up in this industry. You know, I mean, so it is different. It is a little bit more difficult. So, yeah, are there less good people out there? Sure. But what's the real reason behind that? It's 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 not it, – it's not – because of where anybody's from or anything like that. It's because we probably have too many restaurants in this market. Lo and behold, we just opened one. But <laughs> um, but I also think that we don't maybe necessarily have a lot of great restaurants in this market. Um, and so – but I do believe that there's a lot of great people here. I mean we have a great staff, not a good staff, like a great staff. Um, and we have people who are green, but they're awesome. And green by the fact that maybe they don't know a ton about food, but they have a great work ethic and we can work with that. And, you know, being closed for lunch, like we have time to train these people. We have time to teach them. We have time to work with them. Like it's a luxury and we realize it, but it's also something if you have it, you better take advantage of it. So. Yeah, we, we had a discussion earlier at um, at Ackroyd's. We had a meeting, a manager's meeting. We we're talking about training. And one of the issues brought up was like, well, what if someone leaves? And we put, put all this money into training them and whatever. My, my retort to that is always you never – you don't assume someone's going to leave. You train them as if they're going to stay forever. Mm-hmm. And if they take that information elsewhere with them somewhere else, that's fine. We're making them a better person. Yeah. So you're no longer training an employee. You're training a person to, to you know be better at life maybe. I mean sure. it, it might even be arrogant to believe that what we're teaching you is going to make you better at life. But mm-hmm. whatever. It's what I believe. And, and so this thought that – I've been to restaurants time and time again where you ask someone, what's good on the menu? Or what, what's your favorite? Oh, I like everything. No, you don't. Mm. J- just, or that you know, sells well. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, you know, j- just give me an opinion. All, mm. all I'm asking you is this is a large menu, 40, 50 items, whatever. Sure. What do you love? Yeah. Oh, it's all good. No, it's not. I, I mean, yeah. It's it, training. And it's simply like, yeah, as simple as like you can have a fa- – like as simple as a manager – Giving empowering the employee, empowerment's yeah. important. Yeah, I agree. But there's also, I mean, listen, your your main, um, I guess your main marketing tool are is your service staff and bar staff. So you don't necessarily want your service staff and bar staff getting in the idea that they need to educate the guests about what they think is great or what it's not great. Um, I do appreciate honesty out of them, but what I mean by that is. Um, Jason, I'm sure you can attest to this is what I want to hear as a guest is I want to hear, you know, what you're talking about, regardless of what you like or don't like, tell me, sell me something. Tell me what you, tell me what you feel about this in a good way. Don't tell me what you don't like. I don't care about what you don't like. Just tell me what you do like, but tell me it in a way that shows me you've, you give a shit about your job. That you've taken the time to study what that means. Like, you know, what, what is okonomiyaki? Like, do you understand what that actually is? What is chimichurri? What is like, what is okonomiyaki? Uh, well, it's a it's a cabbage based uh, Japanese like kind of pancake, if you will. <laughs> right? Yes, I didn't know. Yeah, it's exactly, I didn't, no, it's yeah, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. I didn't know what okonomiyaki. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, and it's uh, utterly delicious. Yeah. I think it's amazing. But like the thing is, is like if you're in a spot that's serving that, like know what that is. Sell it. Whether you like it or not is actually irrelevant. But right. If you if you know about it and you can sell it, like you can make anything sound good. That's what they are. They're sa- they're salespeople. They're out there to sell your product, um, and in a sense, somewhat themselves because that's their livelihood is to make tips off that. But that is what that is why it's important that they are trained, that they are you know learning that knowledge because it only helps them financially. Yeah, and and I think that you know going back to Jason's like with, with especially like Sugar House or Mutiny or something where you can say to someone like. Someone could look at a menu and say, "I don't like anything on here." Which you know, at Sugar House is uh, Sugar House. The it's menu is yeah, but 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 then a bartender can say something like, "Well, what do you like?" And, and let me make you something. But but at a restaurant, it's vastly different because sure. th- you can't have a server server someone look at a menu and a guest saying like, "Well, I don't like anything on this menu," or all of it scares me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm confused by all of it. A server has to then say, "Well." 
what do you like? Let me transition you into something new that you might not like. Whereas yeah. a bartender can say, I can make you something as simple as, uh, you know, a vodka soda mm-hmm. or whatever, or gin soda and be fairly confident that you're going to like it. Um, I think the interplay there between the, you know, a chef versus a bartender, because a bartender you know, has this access to all of these materials. But, but you're not talking about a chef. You're talking about server. Really? Oh, no. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Right. But the chef has already – I think what he's saying is the chef's already determined what's on the menu. Yep. And that's – since that's static, it's not going to change. I mean that's why places fail, right? If people don't understand the market that they're serving and, you know, it's like what I have recognized I feel like in a short amount of time is, yeah, like if – going back to the idea of like maybe there's only eight seats at Albina. Maybe that's the size of the market. But you can't – that exists for that product. But – you know, it's creativity, ego, whatever can get in the way. If nobody wants to buy your product, it doesn't matter what it is, right? And yeah. so, I mean, I feel like that's why places fail because they don't have a great product. So I think that even goes back to even before the server, farther up into that chain about conceptually what is it? Because my perception is, you know, maybe I'm looking at it through the marketing side, but people don't just go into a place they know nothing about. The majority of people don't wouldn't go walk into the Peterborough and have zero idea that it's a Chinese food or classic, you know, mm-hmm. elevated classic Chinese American dishes. There's something having to do with Chinese food, right? You don't just wander into a place that you don't know anything about. So sure. you've either been recommended it by somebody, you've checked out their social media, you've looked at their website, you've yep. Googled it, you know something about it mm-hmm. to where you're going to go there and you're not going to find nothing that you like. You'll find something, right? I mean, the server's job isn't to sell you on the entire concept. No, no. Once but they're but there. I, I agree with Joe's point 100% though that when you do ask the server or the bartender, hey, what, do you have an idea of something I should go for or or that? I mean, they can't just come back with like, oh, everything's great or, you know, and to your point, Mike, you know, you they probably shouldn't be like, well, I hate this. You know, <laughs> like, well, why is it really? You hate this? Why? And it's on the menu and you're, no, you're like, they should. I, they should come back and be like, "I really enjoy this here. This has been, you know, great." Blah blah blah. You know, this. You know, I. I just. I hate when they come back and be like, "Oh, this sells a lot." Oh yeah, that really that sells a lot. Great. So why is Latito needed in Metro Detroit? Um, first of all, I think we're serving food that nobody else is serving. Okay. I think there's definitely dishes there that you're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, I've never gone anywhere and had an empanada mendocinos like I'm going to get on the corner in Buenos Aires. Never been anywhere that has them. It's not to say that they're not out there. I just have never seen it. I, I, I consider myself pretty well versed in the market. Um, I don't think anybody's serving Sancocho. Um, I don't think anybody's serving a Suspiro. I mean, those are just three items, but we have um, a lot that we can draw from um, and a lot that we can put out there and we can change at any point that we want um, so we can continue to kind of develop um, not only as chefs, but as a restaurant. So I think that that's definitely why it's needed. All right, so brunch starts this Sunday, February this Saturday. Uh, Saturday, sorry, Saturday. But Sunday too. Uh, se- yeah. uh, February sixteenth. Yep. Start at ten a.m. Go 10 to three, and then we start dinner service at four. Four. All right. Yep. And where can people find Latido online? Uh, Latido, or uh, go to JoeBar.com, okay. and then I'll link you right to Latido. Um, mm-hmm. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram. So. All right, Mike. Awesome. Thanks for being with us. Oh man, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Until next time, dine well, friends. <laughs>